This is a presentation of Patterson Media. Amplify Canada is an initiative created by Patterson Media. It's designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our economy. Thousands of small businesses, groups, family organizations, and individuals are showcased on Patterson Media radio stations from Winnipeg to Vancouver throughout the year. Every month, we go a little deeper and share the incredible journey of a few that have made an impact on their community. Some have flourished, others may need a little extra love and support. These are their stories. Welcome to Amplify Canada. I remember my teacher told me this. Not all superheroes wear capes, and not all superheroes have special powers. So I think like, you can take that into consideration and think about we're helping people, but we don't have superpowers, but we can still help people. That's 12-year-old Amar. He and his family started Kids Who Care International, another pandemic pro, as I'm calling them. More on their story a little later. Music is a way to lift spirits. We feel through music. This episode's artist, Madison Olds, will share her experience with generosity and the inspiration for the song at the end of our podcast. Thank God it's Christmas at home this year. We have made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Decisive action is needed. Effective immediately, Ontario is declaring a state of emergency. People are out of work because of this crisis. The Canada Emergency Response Benefit will provide $2,000 a month for workers who lose their income as a result of COVID-19. Growing anxiety this morning about the COVID-19 trend in Canada as we take a look at the numbers. A stay-at-home order leaving only for essential trips with new restrictions on retail. Tonight, they close as a new emergency province-wide stay-at-home order takes effect. And then, out of fear and uncertainty, came resilience. Around the world, we see strength, courage, determination, understanding, perseverance, kindness, and love. This country is built on small businesses. Let's listen to the stories of pandemic generosity. What is the essence of life? To serve others and do good. Spoken 2,300 years ago by Greek philosopher Aristotle. The recognition of the need to give back has been around a long time. Through hardships like the pandemic, businesses have found resilience. We head to Spruce Grove, Alberta, a vibrant, dynamic city located approximately 11 kilometers west of the provincial capital of Edmonton. Population is just shy of 36,000. That's where we find grassroots Wilhawk beef jerky owned by Amanda and her husband, Trevor. The business started 50 years ago with my husband's grandfather in Leduc coming in and starting up a meat shop with his son. That building is actually still there and it's run now by my husband's cousin. So it's a family business. Five years ago, we brought out 
the Wilhock Beef Jerky business to Spruce Grove. And that's when my husband Trevor and I set this location up. We have four children and they are a big part of the shop. They work here all of the time. It's such a niche business. And I read that you have loyal customers that ship your jerky around the world, including to Canadian troops stationed in Afghanistan. Amazing. You opened December 12th, 2016. And then as a way to give back, you started the 12 days of Christmas about a year later. How did this come together? Basically, what happened with the 12 days is that we were just so stunned that we had made it like a year. It was so intense. We had such a high learning curve, but customers just kept coming back in and they kept selling our beef jerky and using it for fundraisers and just so much support happened. We wanted to go out into the community as a thank you for their support. And so we came up with the idea of the 12 days. So every year now from December 1st to December 12th, which is our birthday, we go out back into the community and sometimes it's really big things and sometimes they're really small. Do you have like a favorite story of someone you chose to give back to? One of my favorite or most memorable ones for myself would be, I just was driving one day and this lady was trying to cross the road And we were all sitting there, super patient. It was the middle of the summertime, and she couldn't move. Her legs weren't really working. She had a walker that was garbage. It didn't have wheels. It had tennis balls on it. And then I was like, where is she going? Like, she's never going to make it anywhere. And so I ended up pulling the truck around, and I approached her, and I was like, hi, my name's Amanda. Can I give you a ride somewhere? She really just wanted to go to the Goodwill store to buy a VCR. So I just phoned my husband. I'm like, I got this lady in my truck. I'm going to take her to the house and I'm just going to give her our VCR. And he was like, of course you are. And I gave her my VCR. And then it was months that went by and I just couldn't stop thinking about her. And I went and my husband and I knocked on her door um, just prior to our 12 days. And I was like, we would like to help you out. Do you think that we could buy you a motorized scooter that you can sit in and have a basket and like you can go uptown and get your groceries? And she just had no mobility, no vehicle. She was so excited about that. You have been just so generous. Tell me about a family who needed your help. That actually came to us through a teacher This happens every once in a while. We'll get a teacher that's like, I have this family. Is there anything that you can do? And once I read about them, I was like, oh my gosh. They have no vehicle. Dad works really, really hard and long hours, but he walks to work. And the kids sometimes don't get to go to school because it's so cold out. We just said, hey, like you're working so hard for your family and we would like to buy you a vehicle. And all the teachers were bawling and crying. Every once in a while, we will touch base with them. They're a great family. They're making do as best they can. It's not just giving away something, but you're truly invested in people's lives. Where did your sense of community come from? I think so much of it just stems from the fact that I still couldn't believe people were supporting our store. And I needed to somehow say thank you. My intention is always to just share kindness and to show people that you can do it in big and small ways. And a lot of people are inspired by the stories to go out and give. The ripple effect of what you're doing is amazing. It's one kind act, right? That leads to another kind act. What message would you give about helping others? Honestly, it's every smile, every nice comment, every cup of coffee, doesn't have to be a huge amount of money to spend on giving. 
the more you do it, the more joy you'll feel in your heart. And we do feel that at the end of your life, all you can take with you is what you have given away. Not only have we seen incredible resilience from small businesses, but from individuals and families wanting to make a difference. We turn our attention to a family who is making an impact that is spreading worldwide. Toronto, Edmonton, Orlando, and the UK. Let me introduce you to Fatima, Amar, and Asiya, the masterminds behind Kids Who Care International. Let's start with how did this idea come to be? Well, we realized that there's been like a lot of families out there who need some help. And there were people doing a lot, but there needs to be more of a change. So then I feel like Kids Who Care is perfect for that because we've been doing a lot of care missions is what we call them. Care missions. What a great way to put it. So let's talk about the first thing that you guys came up with. So we've done four care missions and our first one was baby supply. We raised $2,000 to buy diapers, baby bottles, the basic needs of a baby. That one was our first one that we did, and that one was really fun. It's fun to come up with new ideas, brainstorm, and about different things. So you're having fun, and you're giving back at the same time. Like, how great is it to bring those two worlds together? Were you surprised at the amount of money that you were able to raise just putting out an idea and asking the community? How did that make you feel? I felt really happy about it because $2,000, it's a lot of money, and... I knew for sure that there was going to be people who are getting help. You did the baby products, you've done bicycles. Do you have a favorite that you've put out so far that you're like, I really enjoy doing this? I like the bike drive one because we were really hands-on with that. And we had them all lined up on our driveway. We got all my friends to come. And we all got to like fix them up, make sure they were all ready to go. And it was just really fun when it's hands-on. And those went to a local shelter? Uh, yeah, a local women's shelter. So that's pretty special. What a nice way to give back. Everyone has been absolutely wonderful, from the parents to their families. I think when you see a child putting an effort to something, it softens your heart and you you want to give more and you want to do more for them and you want to encourage them further. The amount of support we have received, to see that kind of community coming together has been wonderful. Fatima, what's the first thing that you would tell other parents who want to do something like this? Where it begins is conversation. Conversations around what's happening in the world and having those really important discussions, which for us take place at dinner time, and educating them about everything that's around them, whether it's happening in China or India or Scarborough or Alberta or Vancouver right now, right? And how you as a human being brought onto this earth have a responsibility to help in whatever little way you can, which goes back to the whole Kids Who Care mission, right? When kids are given an opportunity to do something, they will because everybody wants to help and everybody wants to be part of something bigger and make a difference in someone's life, even at that young age. Start off with the conversation, end off with the change. It was a conversation that created change in Prince George, British Columbia. On a corner in downtown sits the White Goose Bistro, a family-run business since 2007. 
Fallon Moreland runs the front, her brother is the chef, and her parents do the shopping and baking, a traditional little family restaurant. I think around eight years ago now, me and my mom were just talking one night, and we are just talking about what way we could give back for our restaurant. There's lots of different places in town on Christmas Day that you can go to homeless people and things like that, but I was thinking, I'm like, there's nowhere to go if you have nowhere to go. Maybe it's a student that's not going home for Christmas. Maybe it's a senior, single parent that doesn't have anywhere to go. I mean, there's tons of people that are by themselves on Christmas Day. So we decided, you know what, why don't we open our restaurant on Christmas Day? Everyone welcomed. No one's turned away. And we decided to do a free Christmas dinner for everybody. The community actually comes together and quite a few people actually bake for us. Homemade baking and the full turkey dinner. So it's great. Then the pandemic hits. How did you manage? We never closed for a day. The second we got shut down for restaurant, we turned it that night to take out and delivery. And our phones rang off the hook. The phones would start ringing at 4.30 and ring till 6.30, double line sometimes with ordering dinners to go. You have between 200 to 400 people through your doors on Christmas for the sit-down dinner, which is incredible. How did you support your Christmas dinner efforts when the pandemic hit and you couldn't have people in the restaurant? We still wanted to find a way to give back. So we decided to open up a nomination on our Facebook page for people to nominate families that would deserve a free Christmas dinner delivered on Christmas Day, fresh and hot, ready to go. We actually got one family that he is a huge community supporter. He fosters tons of children. He's an amazing man when he's looking after, I think, around 10 kids. And for us to be able to be like, hey, you know what? Let us take this pressure off your plate. You ended up delivering meals to 14 families. That is unbelievable kindness. What would you like to say to someone listening? Well, I always just say be kind and always treat people the way you want to be treated. And I often feel that even the smallest act of kindness you do to someone that doesn't necessarily need it, it almost goes further. Like, I can afford a coffee. So when someone buys me a coffee at your home, it's like, huh, it kind of makes your day, right? It's $2. That $2 puts a smile on your face. You could be having a bad day. And it's like, I always find the smallest act of kindness go the furthest in a way. There's good humans out there. Make someone smile that day, right? A good point made. It isn't about how much, rather the difference you're making. It is finding something you believe in. Let's go back to Kids Who Care International and the principle of knowing you can make a difference. You know, Kids Who Care, if I think about how it actually began, it really goes back to my own childhood and wanting at that tender age to be able to do something and make a difference in the world. And so when my husband and I had our kids, having, making, giving and community involvement was really, really important to us. So we've been doing caring missions with our kids probably since they were from the age of five, literally. And we would go downtown, grab sleeping bags and hand them out to people. We did our own warm clothing, drive for the homeless people. We would give out food. So we always made it part of our lives. That's got to be exciting too when they see the the positive effect and the change that the giving and what they're putting out there is doing for the community. They're looking at things differently. Perfect example actually. We were downtown just this past weekend and there was a gentleman who was playing 
chess on a cardboard box. I remember that guy. And my son immediately thought, where can we find a chess board to go and purchase for him so he can play chess? It's when my kids see things like that and their immediate thought is, how can I help? That's how I know that it's affecting them and that they're seeing things differently. They're not walking past someone. It speaks volumes to the work that you've done and the difference that that's made in their lives. And, and they'll carry that. I, I think what we learn as, as young people growing up, we carry through our lives. So they'll hopefully pass that on to their children as well someday. So Amar, can you speak to that just a little bit? How you recognize that in your community now with a different set of eyes where you do see how people need that community support? Kids Who Care has like, given me the ability to see it. Before, like, I'd walk past them, but then when my mom told me about people I need, and I thought then I can use every chance that I get, right? So I wanted to buy that guy a chess set. So I saw that he was playing on a cardboard thing, and I thought that's a small way I can give back to him. Just warms my heart to hear someone of your age recognizing the need and doing something about it. It's the littlest things, isn't it? All the little things make a difference. So true. With Nanaimo, British Columbia as the backdrop, we head to a historic barbershop in the downtown. Now the year is 1895. There is a dirt street, a wooden sidewalk with a wooden barber pole coming out of it. The location may have moved by a few buildings over time, and the landscape of downtown has changed, as the ocean used to come all the way up to the street behind. But the history, the fact people come to the same area for haircuts, fascinates barber Dave Lawrence. It's bizarre to me to think about how when I was a teenager going to get haircuts there and having the barber, his name was Bob Barton, he would try to get me to be a barber. And I finally asked him when I was probably about 17 years old, I said, why is it that barbers keep asking me to be a barber? And he said, well, you know, you always change your styles and what you want, the way you describe your haircuts. That's something I think you'd be good at. And it's a good job to have. You get to talk to lots of people. But at 17, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just kind of sat in the back of my head. So I think it is interesting that I did actually go that route. I had a gentleman come in who was 98 years old a few months ago, and he said that he used to work at the barbershop when it was two doors up the street. So it was right next to the Queen's Bar on Victoria Crescent. And I tried to quiz him of how long it was there for, and he just said forever. So I did some digging on my own, and I found some old pictures from 1895. So it's a historical landmark. I love the connection to when you were a teenager and the history of the barbershop. Can you tell me about how you started doing Fresh Start and getting involved with kids? Yeah, of course. A few years ago, I had a friend of mine was volunteering at the 710 Club. The 710 Club is a place where you can go, you get a free breakfast, they give you a paper bag lunch. So this friend of mine was telling me how it wasn't just homeless people. And he said there's families, there's kids. He goes, you'd be shocked at the amount of kids that come there so many kids and families that kind of fell below the poverty line. This was eye-opening to me. So at the same time, this story was going kind of viral where this barber in the States was to promote literacy, giving away free haircuts if you read him a story. These two friends of mine, they really started saying, well, you got to do it, Dave. It's such a good idea. 
sure, I'll do the free haircuts for kids if they read to me, but why don't we help all these people in the community falling in the cracks? So you guys help me collect school supplies, backpacks, clothes, and books. And then that way we can really help them out because I have three kids. I know that back to school is very expensive to get clothes and books and all the supplies and everything. It's a lot of money. It really adds up. So this would help out a lot. So they said, sure, let's do it. So then you took it up a notch and seven years in, you've identified other needs. You can come downtown and see panhandlers or people sitting on the street or people doing drugs. And you can say, wow, there's a drug issue here or there's a homeless issue here. With kids, you don't see it. You don't really notice that, oh, that kid isn't wearing a winter coat or he must have forgot his coat. Maybe that kid doesn't have a coat. You know, you don't see that that kid maybe didn't have breakfast. He's hungry. He's starving. He needs food. You don't see it. As a barber, during most of the pandemic, you couldn't work. What was that like? When the pandemic hit, it was a weird one where my business was shut down and I was told that I wasn't able to work, which is frightening for myself. If I'm not making money, I I don't have any money. Uh, How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to put food on the table? And I mean, I had a lot of people help me, you know, they would buy gift certificates or a bakery would bring food every once in a while, which really helped out, which was awesome getting help for someone that helps the community, which was just great. And how did you manage the program during the pandemic? I believe it was maybe my wife came up with the idea that we'd have an online sign up. So the families could sign up and then we would get a bunch of volunteers and drivers and we would drive the supplies, school supplies, and all that stuff. It usually always ends up being around the same number, 100, 115 people. But we had 240, I think, sign up. So that was a lot. (laughs) And that's a lot of backpacks and that's a lot of supplies. So we luckily had a lot of people donate. So we ended up having enough. And I really think that every community needs this, especially ones around here. You don't realize the child poverty rate until you actually start doing some digging and seeing the numbers. And some of the child poverty rates on the island here are some of the worst in Canada. And I think people don't realize that. You are so right. Often people do not realize that poverty is a big issue in this country. Canada Without Poverty reported in 2021, one in seven or 4.9 million people in Canada live in poverty and one in five are children. That's 1.3 million kids. So I hope there's more people like you, Dave, in every community and maybe all of us together can fight child poverty one at a time. I think it's one of those things where if if you have the ability to help someone or do something, go do it. I think I'm very lucky that my kids have helped out with Fresh Start almost every year that we've done it, and their eyes have been open to this. Volunteering at a soup kitchen or doing anything, just doing things to help people, it gives you such a an awesome feeling, and I think just kind of open your eyes that there are lots of people in our community that struggle and do something to try to help them. It doesn't cost anything for the most part, and you'll feel good. So go do it. Go help. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. Words of wisdom from President Barack Obama. And it is what Kids Who Care International's success is based on. You have to be dedicated to doing this. When there's a meeting online, 
You gotta be there. Gotta raise the funds. You have to be into it. You can't just be like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll just sign my kid up and they'll do whatever. So people who hear this, you have to be dedicated to join Kids Who Care. Kids Who Care is also about to help humanity and kids are using their own creative ways to help the community more with their own passions, having fun in a safe way because we're being very safe and it's so much fun. It's also very social and it also helps kids step out of their comfort zone. Words beyond your years, how you're speaking right now in the sense of the importance of giving back. And mom, I listened to your children speak here and it tells the story of a good family unit and setting those examples. And you've done that here. What was your biggest challenge just for others who might be thinking, I want to, you know, want to get involved here? In terms of operationally have been around COVID. I'm also thinking we're dealing with children. You don't want to overtax them and overburden them. So I think also being able to gauge that and manage that is important. I remember my teacher told me this. Not all superheroes wear capes. And not all superheroes have special powers. So I think like, you can take that into consideration and think about we're helping people, but we don't have superpowers, but we can still help people. Well, you guys have done so much at such a young age, and I'm going to say that you're superheroes to me, and you're going to be superheroes to many people that are listening to this podcast, because you've set such an incredible example, and you are making a difference. And you could literally give back from the youngest age, because we have actually five and six-year-olds helping out. They're very dedicated to this, and from such a young age, you can make more of a difference. Also, kids like to make things, and that's what you do for Kids Who Care. You make things and then sell them. I like to sell things. I think that's pretty fun. And then giving back, it's all really fun to do. Um, And then you feel so good after you do that. You feel like, yay, I just made a much more big difference in this world. And I feel great. And it's the little things that count. That innate desire to give back that Amara and Asiya talk about, the ability to make a difference, is exactly what is at the heart of our next story. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, sits a small hotel. It has a restaurant, bar, cafe, and banquet hall. For the past eight years, owner of Four Crowns, Revy Rambaran, has been slowly fixing up this old hotel. It is a community place, good food, great service, and a long list of ways they give back. Hi, Revy. Can we start with the community you've built around your business? Yeah, our area of the city, we're in the north side of the city. This is where so much of our parents and our parents' generation grew up and lived. And this building itself had hundreds of weddings. And we were such a community base just out of this building and so much history here that we really want to bring back that beautiful part of the community, right? And I think that it's a win-win situation. It's good for business. It's good for our area. Even for staff, too, it's just we feel so good about what we've done. I think because of our community efforts, a lot of people want to join our team. They want to be part of it. It's more than just a job. It really is. It's just being energized about what you do every day. It actually makes me think of the old series Cheers, the line where everyone knows your name. 
but no doubt it's been hard through COVID. It took a few years for me to renovate the building and get it to a place where I wanted to be and get the clientele in place that I wanted. And about six months before COVID, we finally got to a place where the customer base was great. The place was busy. Finally, after years and years, it was hopping. And then COVID hit. <laughs> and we went through, I think, three lockdowns. And then we reopened the doors. And I think people right now are still very fearful or conservative about going out and enjoying. But those that are coming, they're coming and they're just excited to be out too. But that being said, yeah, we're down less than 50% of what our normal revenues are. That's a tough hit. But it hasn't stopped you from giving back to your community. To be honest, your list of giving back is really remarkable. We actually have a pretty good culture here of some pretty neat stuff that we do as a team. Part of working here is helping with our give back efforts. For example, we do a tampon drive every couple of years where we deliver tampons and pads to women's shelters, which is a much needed necessity that never really gets thought of when people are donating items. We do a lot of food drives, deliver food to food banks. You know, we've got a big banquet where 25% of the people didn't show up and we got a lot of food, sent it out, and we just feed our neighborhood. And even just right outside our front door. We also did a really cool thing last year where we fed three schools in our neighborhood. We did an invite to the students' families who couldn't afford proper meals. So we did a Saturday pickup of meals here. Um, I didn't realize how close to home that poverty line was. I really didn't realize that both schools on both sides of our hotel had kids who weren't eating properly. So just to recap, you were giving back before COVID. And even though revenue was down by 50%, it didn't stop you from helping. Actually, you upped the ante. I was driving here one morning and I heard on the radio that there was very much an increasing domestic violence calls coming into the police and the lack of shelter space, especially because of the social distancing and they didn't want people crammed into spaces. And then I thought, well, hey, we've got hotel rooms here that are all empty. We can, I'm sure, help a few people out. So I just sent a text message to our local radio station saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I've got. If anyone's interested, let us know. And from there, it kind of blew up like wildfire. I never had a lot of experience dealing with these kind of issues in terms of doing intake. But I learned hard and fast and we rolled with it and we were um, able to help quite a few families out. So it was very rewarding. Well, how long did people stay in the hotel? Usually no longer than a few days. After a few days, we were able to successfully get them into a real resource center and get them the real help that they need. The police were very instrumental in working with us and, and helping us get people into the proper places. Obviously, I'm willing to help. On the flip side, I can't have people staying here for weeks and weeks, right? So my rule was simple. You can come here, but you must be sober, you must be respectful, and you must be willing to work with the police. According to a recent article in Time magazine, surveys around the world have shown domestic abuse spiking since January of 2020, jumping markedly year over year compared to the same period in 2019. The community has been incredibly supportive letting you know what the needs are. If someone's listening to this podcast, Revy, and you want to give them a message of how to help others, what would you leave with them? I think the key is just to be really grateful for what you do have. During the pandemic, it was easy to lose sight of that. A lot of people became very ungrateful that they have arms and legs that work and they have good energy when they wake up in the morning and they can breathe properly. And I think when you're grateful for those things, you realize how easy it is to help others that don't have those things, right? So please do it and you will really impact someone and their children, you know, in a good way. From beef jerky, restaurants, barbers, and the meaningful change we are all wanting to see. Thank you, Amanda, Fatima, Amar, Asiya, Revy, Fallon, Dave, and Madison. 
for sharing your stories of resilience. Thank you for showing us how we can all make a difference, even when sometimes we are the one in need. And thank you to all the people in our communities who nominated them for Amplify Canada. Our musician is Vancouver-based pop artist Madison Olds. Madison, you have your own story of generosity, but before we get to that, tell us a bit about yourself. I hail all the way from a small city in interior British Columbia called Kamloops. I was born and raised there. I got my first guitar at 13. I hit the streets and started busking, saving up my money to be able to record music and keep chasing the dream. And then things started to get a little bit bigger, a little better. I was writing better music. I was becoming a better singer. I formed this all-girl country trio, which ended up garnering a little bit of notoriety and sent us to Nashville, which is where I really learned to songwrite at 18. And I really learned a lot about songwriting. And I really do credit my time in Nashville That kind of like very loosely brings me up to here now uh, with a beautiful Christmas song out called Christmas at Home, which totally embodies the feeling of being at home for the holidays. Madison, you faced a significant hardship. Well, your boyfriend and you, and that led to the generosity in others. Can you tell me about that journey together and the fundraiser you did? My partner severed his spine in 2017, leaving him confined to a wheelchair. He's a very optimistic, positive, happy person, and I think he very much made peace with his injury very early on. And I said, hey, do you want to walk again? Is that something that's important to you? And he goes, yeah, I mean, I'd like to try, but I was told I had a 0% chance of that ever happening. And I said, oh, honey, no, I come from a family of dreaming and believing. Like That's who my family is. And I said, we can make it happen if it's something you want to try. So I started fundraising and and kind of looking into some opportunities for people with spinal cord injuries. And I kind of found a couple different treatments. And then we settled on this one in Columbia, but we were going to need about, you know, $100,000 to make all of it happen and some new equipment for him. I guess we're coming up, we're pretty much almost at a year that we've fundraised the money, which is so crazy to think that a year has gone by. It feels like we just hit our goal last week, but you know, I'm a musician. He's a professional athlete. We don't make a lot of money. So I took to social media just to see, you know, would people buy merchandise? Would people stream my music? I never wanted to ask people for money, but people were just so incredibly kind and giving. And we hit our goal before the holidays and then flew out three months later for Derek's first round. And we actually just came back about a month ago from his third round. And he has been re-diagnosed with a lower level injury, which is amazing. So it's actually working. And he's going to go for his final round in January. Madison, it really is an incredible story of generosity and what a journey that you've been through. All the best with the final treatment in January. And before we wrap up this episode, Could you give us a bit of background on Christmas at Home? We kind of started with a bit of just a regular Christmas song and then went into the fact that it's Christmas at Home. And then, you know, we make light of situations like grandma not being able to pull up Zoom or not having the screaming kids or hammered Aunt Irene and and all these funny little quips. But it definitely is a bit of a reminder that whether you're home alone by choice or home alone because you can't leave where you are right now, You can always make it 
magical. You can always make it holly. You can always make it jolly. And Christmas at home is really what you make of it. It really is a fantastic song. But before we play Christmas at home in its entirety, do you have lyrics from a song that you would be willing to share with us? Yes. You know what? I, I've actually never done that before, but I, I would love to share this 2020 and 2021. A lot of us have lost people, whether it is to mental health or to COVID or to natural disasters. And I think many of us are spending holidays for the first time without loved ones. And so I, I wanted to write a song from the perspective of the first Christmas without someone. And so I can read you the f- verse in the chorus. I write my letter, I check it twice. The only thing written is your name beside mine. And all that I'm wishing is to turn back time, hear you open the door and see you stoking the fire. You'd wrap your heart and I'd wrap mine. We could light the candles just one more time. The tree would be big and we'd turn on the lights. I could see the red and the green in your eyes. I miss you for Christmas and every day. I pray of the things I wish I could say. Like one more I love you, I wish you could stay. I still wrap your presents, they sit in the wheat for you on Christmas and every day. The mistletoe doesn't seem to hang the same way and the snow keeps on falling like nothing has changed. But all I want wrapped is just one more day with you. Go on another look, the fire's getting low. Bake the goods and pour the drinks, the folks are on the road With so much care and so much love, everything wrapped in bows But none of it matters cause this year I'm all alone Hanging lights and decorations, putting up the tree Usually the family house, but this year it's just me And the only voices in the house come from the TV screen Oh, but mom and dad don't shed a tear for me Stretched across the sleeping face of good old Grandpa Steve While Grandma does her best to keep our call boat up on Zoom But ever since that reindeer incident, she's lost a step or two The snow is falling now, the picture's so serene And best of all, no screaming kids are hammered and Irene At this point, I don't even care what's underneath the tree The world has given me the gift of solitary glee it's all I ever wanted, yeah And there's no escaping from it No one around and nothing to do I've never been so cheery, yeah I you tied with no one near me, thank God It's Christmas at home this year I ever want 
listening to Amplify Canada, an initiative created by Patterson Media, designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our communities. For more information on this program, you can go to pattersonmedia.com. This is a presentation of Patterson Media.